Well, if you're just joining us today, we're in a series, Travels into the Remote Nations of the World in Four Parts. And so uh, that's a picture of Gulliver, but we're talking about Paul, Paul's travels into the world. And you see, we've covered his first missionary journey, we've covered his second missionary journey, and today we end his third missionary journey and dip into the fourth part, Paul on trial and in prison, where he enters into uh, Jerusalem. We'll pick up the rest of that starting next week, and we'll finish a couple weeks before Christmas this book of Acts. <clears throat> and we're in Acts 21 today. And upon reading this chapter, uh, you may get the sense, if you were to just go home and read it, you're like, is this nothing more than Luke's travel diary? Uh, but if you dig a little deeper uh, and you ask good questions, you look for connections, you see things uh, that may be different and surprising. Uh, one of those we'll have to handle today. You'll see that there's a lot of richness in this chapter uh, for us in our personal life. And I hope today that you walk away from here freed when it comes to making decisions. Uh, you would walk out of here not constrained maybe by the traditional view you've been taught, but by a biblical view of how to walk with the Spirit. Uh, let me pray and then we'll get started. Father, this is your word Pray as we read it, we unfold it, and we learn from it together uh, that you would be honored. Uh, Where we don't know, would you instruct us? Where we don't believe, would you convict us? And Lord, where we aren't encouraged, uh, would you encourage us in the truth? I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, here's a question. I'm not going to ask you to do this, but can you touch your toes? Are, are you flexible enough to bend over and touch your toes? One of the key indicators in somebody's mobility is can they touch their toes? If you can't touch your toes, if there's pain when you bend over to touch your toes, you need to go to a doctor. But if you're not in pain and you're like five inches from your toes, I would say you are immobile. Uh, I would say you need to work on your mobility. And Gray Cook, who is a, the guru these days of what it means to move, says movement should precede, um, excuse me, mobility should precede your movement and your movement should precede your strength. Meaning, if you can't move properly, there's no reason you should be underweight. Uh, weights, like have a bar on your back. And as humans, we need to be mobile. As we get older, it'll, it'll, it could save you from being injured. And so you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with the Christian life? Well, as Christians, we also need to be flexible, not physically, but spiritually. That means we need to learn that there are some issues that we need to bend on. What I'm not saying is that we bend on anything when it comes to the main doctrines in life. What I am saying is that we need to learn to make concessions. There are times when doctrine is not at stake that we need to make concessions. Um, Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Paul talks about his freedoms. I hope today you are free when it comes to making decisions that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. You're going to see that today in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though, my, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. 
To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. That is the key. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them and its blessings. And so today, I think you saw it earlier, and if Daniel, if you want to go back there, we're talking about flexible steel, uh, convictions and concessions in life. If I were to wrap it up in biblical language, when it comes to our convictions, we walk by the Spirit. We're going to learn what that means today. And when it comes to our concessions, we consider others more important than ourselves. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through verses 1 through 16, making comments along the way, and I'm going to come back to a few of them and spend time on the main uh, thought of Luke in this section. And so we begin with our convictions. Verse 1, when we had parted from them and set sail. I think the NIV brings it out, the better, uh, a better nuance of the term parted. It says, when we had torn ourselves away. If you were here last week, we talked about Paul weeping and the elders of Ephesus weeping. And they loved one another. And so when they had parted, they set sail. They came by a straight course to Cos and, to the next, and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there was a ship, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And so Paul sees the people that he had ministered to before, and he spends a week with them. And here's a key phrase we'll come back to. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. And stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt around and bound his own feet and hands and said, another key verse, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and, and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul cared that they cared. Don't miss that. I think earlier on in the book of Acts, I, I, I didn't read that in light of what just watching Paul and how, as he dealt with the disciples. But he, he had compassion and he loved them. He cared that, that they cared, but he also cared more for the cross of Christ than his own life, and that should convict us. Paul knew what he was doing. He was going to Jerusalem and he knew what was coming. One bishop was act, asked once uh, how things were going. He said, I don't know. 
Everywhere St. Paul went, there was a riot. Everywhere I go, they serve tea. <laughs> and since he would not be persuaded, this is Paul, we, this is Luke, and you know Luke's with him, and Luke and the others said, ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Now, did you notice something peculiar about this passage? If you were here with us last week, we'll get to it in a minute. It's not there. But just remember this verse where Paul said, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city there will be affliction and imprisonment. The Holy Spirit spoke and told Paul what was coming. Yet if you go to verse 4, and it is up there, having sought the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and notice this, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to, to, to Jerusalem. And if you look at 10 and 11 again, when we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt. He said, hey, can I borrow your belt? Sure. And he bound his hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And so in chapter 20, you get the Holy Spirit telling Paul to go to Jerusalem and in every city there will be imprisonments and afflictions. And here, though not in the exact same language, similar language, you get in through the Spirit the disciples were telling him not to go to Jerusalem. And so we have to spend time with this. What do we do with this? Two things, uh, I think, help us to want to spend time. What's going on? The Holy Spirit says to Paul in 20, go to Jerusalem here through the Spirit. It's different language. I'll show you that here in a second. They're saying not to go to Jerusalem. I think two things uh, help us here. Number one, the glory of God is at stake. God is not a God of confusion. He would not say directly, Paul, go to Jerusalem. And then, then he would not say directly to other people, tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. That's confusing. And 1 Corinthians 14.33 says he's not a God of confusion. And secondly, for not only for the glory of God, but for the good of his people, you, myself, many today are when they come to make decisions, if it feels right and of the Spirit, they say, this is what the Lord is saying. And so we have to reconcile this. We have to understand His will and live in light of this understanding. And so first we're going to deal with Paul. Paul had his convictions. Why would Paul have such strong convictions that he says, oh, you're breaking my heart. I, I love you guys, but I'm going to Jerusalem. And he was dead set on that. Why? Why would, he, why would he say that? Well, let, let's just stay within our book. Let's look at Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, the Lord said to him, Go, for he, that is Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out, to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias got direct word, carry this, you're going to have to, we're thinking about this. Second Timothy says, think on these things. I'll give you understanding and everything. God spoke to Ananias and said, tell this to Paul. He's my chosen instrument and he's going to suffer. This is God's direct revelation about Paul. Now, if we go to 1921, 
After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit, notice the language there, to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. I don't think this is direct revelation from God to Paul. I think this is Paul's desires in accordance with God's direct revelation, that in accordance with scripture, so to speak, Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem. That's his desire. And now, in verse 22 of chapter 20, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there in detail, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and inflictions await me. This is God's direct revelation to Paul, same as it was to Ananias. Now, we have the privilege... So that's right up to the point of chapter 21. But we also have the privilege. We have the entire scriptures. We have the entire book of Acts. So I think it would be nice to dive into 2311 and see this. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Rome, so you must testify, or in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This is God's direct revelation to Paul on the backside of what we're getting ready to go through. And so I believe by God's direct revelation to Paul and in Paul's desires that it's in accordance with that, Paul was right in wanting to go to Jerusalem. He's absolutely right. This is where he's going. He's dead set on it. He knows I've been told this is my call. I am going. How about how about the others? How about the disciples in, in Agabus? I mean, it says through the Spirit. Now, I want to show you this phrase, through the Spirit, because when I saw that, I know God's not a God of confusion, so he's not telling Paul one thing, and he's not telling the disciples another thing. And so we must reconcile these. We don't sit there and just read the chapter and move on and give you 33 ways to do whatever, right? We, we, don't, we don't ignore what seems to be a contradiction. Through the Spirit is mentioned five times in Scripture. Acts 11, Acts 21, 1 Corinthians 2.10, 1 Corinthians 12.8, and Ephesians 3.16. Never in any of those verses is there a direct revelation from God to those persons. Never. Talking about the gifts, there may be a word of knowledge, but that word of knowledge comes through the Spirit. It is not a direct the Holy Spirit speaking to that person. Okay, you have to get that first. And so what I think is going on here is that the disciples, including Luke, remember he included himself on this, we don't want you to go, they, they get wind of that Paul's going to Jerusalem, the Spirit has told him he's going to go to Jerusalem. Agabus, Agabus gives a prophecy. The one who has this belt, he's going to be bound when he gets to Jerusalem. Agabus's prophecy is not a prohibition, Paul don't go, it's a prediction. When you get there, this is what's going to happen. And we know it's a correct prophecy because it lines up with all that I've just read to you about Paul going to Jerusalem to face imprisonment and infliction. So could it be, could it be that the disciples, because of their love, which is a fruit of the Spirit, that they have for Paul when they received the word about what he was doing, didn't want to see their friends suffer? Amen? And they didn't have a direct word from God, but they are walking in the Spirit, so we can use that through the Spirit language. They have compassion. They have care. They have uh, love for Paul. 
So I believe, according to the scripture, one can be walking in the spirit, but not have an accurate view of the big picture. And so they can be right in their affections for Paul, but wrong in their direction to Paul. Paul had the desire to fulfill the direct revelation that was given to him, and nothing was going to stop him. The disciples were acting in the spirit to the extent that they cared for Paul, and that is good. Both the desires, uh, both of those desires were good. And so what did they have to do? And we saw what, what Luke said as best we conceded. Let the will of the Lord be done. Were they right through the Spirit to show compassion and say, Paul, we don't want you to go, you're going to suffer? Yes. Were they wrong and try to deter Paul from going to Jerusalem? Yes. Yes. You see, we cannot just say, the Spirit told me. On the one hand, I don't think the Spirit speaks audibly. I think we've got 66 books, and until I master these 66 books, all of them, I don't think the Lord needs to give me more information than he's given me. My pastor back in Texas once, he was asked that question at a, at a big single study. Well, what do, you, what do you think about the Lord speaking today? And he said, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and the Lord's never spoken audibly to me. And he said, until you get this down, I don't think he needs to give us any more. And number two, and this is where I hope this helps you, I think our guidance, our direction in life as believers is a bit more free than having this warm and fuzzy feeling like the Spirit told us, or we prayed and we have a peace. Because here, they conceded and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And so I think it's a good day to talk about the will of the Lord or the will of God as it's often known in Scripture. I want to begin with this. Just a question. This is a good question. Anytime you want to know the will of God, you need to ask yourself this question. Why do I want to know the will of God? Do I want to know the will of God because it, I want to please Him? I, I want to glorify His name more and more? Or is it this irony, uh, I want to be in control. I want to be able to say, well, it wasn't me, it was, it was God. And, and in some weird sense, blame him. But, but what I hope you learn today is that you're freed, freed to follow God according to the scriptures. You're freed to do that. That God deals with his mature believers in such a way that they can make decisions on their own. It's, it's, it's similar, I won't say it's the exact, but it's similar to that adult child and their parent that the parents are still and i heard it even today they're always going to be my little babies and they're all the parents are always going to guide them but there comes a point in time where their child is free to make decisions and the the parent has trained them in the way they should go i talked to someone the other day and their adult child came to them and they were kind of speaking paternally to them and and that child said well you know i'm an adult child right <laughs> because they wanted to honor their parents. But it's, I need to make this decision. And so when it comes to the will of God in your life, be free. Here are the three aspects. Just like most of the things in Scripture, it is not just this, uh, when it comes to the will of God, 
you, you put all the scriptures together and you can't just come up with some simplistic view. There are nuances, and I think the best three ways to look at it are the providential will of God, the permissive will of God, and the preceptive will of God. The providential will of God are those things he controls. Uh, the permissive will of God are those things he allows, and the preceptive will of God are those things he demands. And so you're saying, well, give me a verse about the providential will of God, no problem. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. He's going to do what he's going to do when he's going to do it, no matter what. The permissive will of God, I don't have a verse up there, but I just want to talk to, this is where God guides us in making us wise. He will not. He will not make the decision for you. He guides by making us wise. And so I hesitate putting a verse up there, but if you're thinking about this, this is Job 1 and 2, where God allows Satan to go to Job and to uh, do what he did in Job 1 and 2. God's allowing it to happen. It's not, it's not something he didn't know about. And so when we're making our decisions, you could go to Acts 2, you could go to Acts 4, and you could go... Uh, let me just read it to you so we get it clear and straight. Acts 2, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. God's in sovereign control, but this is what you did. God allows it. It's his permissive will which fits within his providential will. And then you have his preceptive will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We looked at it earlier today. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the idea in that, what I read earlier in that like machine gun full of commands in there. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. He says, these things are the will of God for you. Let me say it like this. You can know the will of God. He gives it to his. You can know the preceptive will of God. He gives it to you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. That is the will of God. You cannot, cannot, you cannot know the providential will of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. God's providential will always comes to pass whether we believe it or not. His preceptive will, what he gives us in the word, is broken every day. His providential will is invincible. This will come to pass. His preceptive will uh, is commanded and can be grievously broken. That's why right, right after First Thess 5.18, it says, do not quench the spirit. And God's permissive will allows for you and me to make our decisions both right and wrong in accordance with God's preceptive will and right and left in accordance with God's permissive will all under the umbrella of God's providential will. Knowing this, I hope, frees you to make decisions and not do uh, Bible roulette or not do, you know, I'm going to ask 20 people and just go with the majority vote because depending on the 20 people you ask, they all could be wrong. Or, or it's not one of those, I'm just going to pray about it, and if I have a peace, or, or the classic, I'm going to throw out a fleece. 
And if it rains on the fleet, well, that's what Gideon did. Perhaps that's descriptive, not prescriptive. I, I don't know how many times when I was ministering to young singles, they told me about fleeces and signs from God that this should be. I remember sitting in our house one night, and she's nodding. She knows where I'm going. That this young couple said, and I quote, we knew we were to be together because we walked into the room at the same time. It's like she came in that door, he came in this door. They looked and locked eyes and they said, this is of God. That didn't last two months. It's shenanigans is what it is. Didn't last two months. And so when it comes to knowing the will of God, you can know the revealed will of God. More on that in a minute. The revelation. You and I cannot and will not know the providential will of God. We must make decisions. And so that is what. How do we do this? Number one, we go with revelation. And so the Bible tells us several things about the will of God in our life. I'm going to quote to you two books that you probably thought, well, I never would have put those two books together, but I'm going to do it. Uh, the first one is The Purpose Driven Life. Not my favorite book, but the table of contents are good. Why are they good? Because they're in accordance with the scriptures. You are planned for his pleasure. And I could give you scripture after scripture. You are formed for his family. You were created to be like Christ. You were shaped for service and you were made for mission. That's a nice way to understand. This is what, if you want to be doing God's will, understand he planned it. He formed you. He created you. He shaped you for service. Every single person has a gift and he wants you to go on mission. That's good. A shorter book and a more simple book is called Found God's Will. And this is any time I've had, a, even here, I had a young man come up to me and Hey, how do you know the will of God? And I just said, download this. Read Found God's Will, because you can find it. Because according to that small little book, God wants you to be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, serving, and yes, even suffering. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Saved, God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be walked by the power of the Spirit. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be under authority. He wants you to be using your gifts for the common good. And now more than ever, that you and I might suffer. That is the will of God for your life. If I can, I've just told you. And if you're here today and you're a young person, what you're thinking, well, what about should I marry this person? Make a decision. Pray, observe, who should make sure that person is, and we could go. It's another sermon for another day. Make a decision. Here's, here's the key verse in all this Deuteronomy 29 29. Just memorize this verse. You'll never have an issue with the will of God again. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Amen. They belong to Him, they are His. Who's going to win the next election? We don't know. God does. He does already. It's like we're, a, we're that night we're sitting there, blue state, red state, and we're getting all anxious and getting the popcorn. And he's like, I, I knew this. I knew it before the world began, but I mean, okay. He knows. 
It's a secret thing right now, and it belongs to him, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. That is, when I go and I train my kids, I'm walking them through. Right now we're walking through the book of John, just slow and steady, walking through the book of John. I'm giving the things revealed. They'll ask me about certain things. I'll say, well, let's think it through and make a decision. Why does he give us the revealed things? That we may do the things of the law. So there's the first aspect, the idea of revelation. Then there's the second aspect, the idea of guidance. And there are three main views, and I'm probably going to hit on your view in one of these. There's the traditional view. Most of you were brought up with this, that God is sovereign. I cannot violate his preceptive will, so we've all got that. And he permits me to do my desires. That's his permissive will. But I must figure out his providential will. And that's when that Bible roulette and fleece throwing gets pulled out. And it, it, it becomes really constricting. It becomes really constricting. Because we're, we're starting to play games about God's will here. And then there's the traditional charismatic view that God is sovereign. I cannot violate his preceptive will. He has, I know in his permissive will, he's got specific details. And in the traditional charismatic view, you should see it on the next slide, that he will reveal to me his providential will. This is where God love them, our health and wealth, brothers and sisters, they get it wrong. He's going to reveal it to you. He's going to tell you, and this is the Holy Spirit told you, and see these three things lined up on this specific date, and boom, it's of the Lord. That's just not true. He will not reveal his providential will to you. Here's the one I like the most, and I think it's the most freeing. It is the wisdom view. God is sovereign. I cannot violate his preceptive will. He will guide me as he makes me wise in that I will end up doing his providential will all within his permissive will because I'm doing it according to the word. See, all see that God is sovereign. All believe that they need to be obedient to scriptures. It's just in those daily decisions, you, you get the one who's trying to figure it out. You can't. He won't tell you. You get the one who thinks he's going to tell you and he's going to do it through weird ways. Uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote the best book on this. Um, it's called Just Do Something. Instead, of, And then his subtitle was Every Other Fleece, Smoke in the you know, Cloud and all the other ways that people find God's will. Just do something according to the word. And that's the wisdom view. It's the most freeing. It is the absolute most freeing. Should I buy this home? Or should I not buy this home? Well, go with wisdom. Do you have money to buy that home? Yes. Do you like that home? Yes. How do I know it's of God's will? The minute you make a decision, that will be God's will for you in that home. And then pay your mortgage. Because if you don't pay your mortgage, that wouldn't be God's will. Here, here's a key. Do not, let's not, next slide, confuse guidance where God may impress on us. And, and I talked to a lovely couple the other, where God, he may literally impress on you. you. You just know he is impressing on you. He hasn't spoken audibly, but he's impressing on you. You ought to do this. That's guidance. With revelation, this is what the Lord says. Um, Dallas Willard, in his book, um, Learning, uh, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God, talked about his grandmother, who everybody was talking about, well, the Lord told me and the Lord told me, and this was a dear lady in 
who'd been walking with the Lord for years, and she goes, God's never said anything to me, and it kind of, it put a, for at that time, until he helped her see it, kind of put a, um, a damper on her faith, like, how are all these people hearing from the Lord, and I, I've just been reading this Bible and being obedient. Could God speak audibly today? Yes. Nobody, nobody's denying that. Does he do it as normative practice? No. And it wasn't even normative in the Bible. Go to Joshua 1. Here's, the, here's God talking to Joshua. And he tells him in a certain part of the book what he's doing. In the first part of the book, when he gets his commands from Moses, it doesn't say... Um, Joshua 1.8, it, it, it doesn't say God's going to tell you everything you need to know exactly when you need to know it. So you just need to walk through life, and when you need to know something, just, hey, God, speak to me. This book of the law shall not depart from your lips. You shall meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do all that is written in it. Then your way will be prosperous. Then you will have success. David, who had a wonderful relationship, unique relationship to the Lord, gave us 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, on the word of the Lord. It was his joy. It was his delight. He longed for it. He didn't want to disobey it. Christ, when they appealed to him, he said, you should have read this in the Old Testament scriptures. So does God speak to us personally and specifically? Yes and no. Absolutely. I heard God's voice this morning because I read it in the Bible. No, he does not. He's not going to tell you specifically what to do in your life if it has nothing to do. Should I today eat a salad for lunch or a cheeseburger? He's not going to tell me, and that's okay. The belt's a little tight. We go for the salad. You need some calories? Take in the cheeseburger. Let me summarize it with this. God has shown us right and wrong decisions. They're in the Bible. God will not show us right and left decisions. That is part of his providential will. And so as we are obedient to his preceptive will, we will fulfill his providential will. Let's just make sure we carefully discern right and wrong versus right and left. And I think that's what's going on in Acts 1, 1 through 16. Paul had revelation. This is what he was supposed to do. They were walking in the Spirit in that they loved Paul, but they were wrong. They were wrong. Paul don't go. Paul's going because he was told to go. They were right in what they felt. They were wrong in trying to give him direction. And so Paul, this is the beauty of this passage, had his convictions. I'm going to Jerusalem. And so those, those disciples had to concede. They had to say, you know what? Let the will of the Lord be done. Now watch this. Immediately, immediately, 1 through 16, Paul is convicted and he's going. In 17 through 26, you're going to see him do. He's going to concede. He's going to show up. 
He's going to meet with some other elders, and they're going to say, this is what you need to do. And he's not going to argue God's will. He's, not, he's just going to go, okay. Okay. 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. Even then, there was a plurality of elders. And after greeting them, James and the elders, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Number one, this is you can learn something from this just real quick. Sometimes it's wise for elders to have meetings. They're not always for all people. Number two, reports are good. Details are good, one by one. I, I talked to a pastor one day, and he, he said that he used to put his elders' minutes on a sticky note. I'm like, you could probably and be a little bit more administrative than that. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about 19 is Paul talked about one by one the things God had done. He didn't say, you know, you should have seen me in Ephesus. I mean, there was this riot, and I was ready to go. Perhaps it sounded like this, 1 Corinthians 3. I planted Apollos. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. And here's what he might have said to those elders. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. It was God-glorifying report. And then look at the response. And when they, that is James and the elders, heard it, they glorified God. I love that. Paul's conviction is he really thought that he existed to bring glory to God and good to the world as a follower of Christ, committed to the church, influencing culture. That sounds like a mission statement. And so you see Paul on mission. But watch this. Here's what the elders say to him. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs. Here you have some Jews who have believed. You have some Jews who are zealous, but they're inaccurate. And they're making misleading statements about Paul. And Paul understood this. He could see that. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Now, these are the elders going to tell Paul what he ought to do. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may, have their, may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself also have lived in observance of the law. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Just like we read earlier. To those outside the law, I became outside the law. That's what's going to happen in 25. But as for the Gentiles who believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from four things, from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. We covered that in Acts 15. And so with the 
with the Jews, they were, he was to be neat and tidy with this observance of the law. He's a little looser with the Gentiles, but just sensitive to the culture, not wanting to offend. And so I love verse 26. Paul made this big to-do about what they said. He didn't want to do it. I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. Then Paul took them in, and the next day purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. He just did it. He didn't argue. He didn't plead the case that they were Jews and they didn't need to be, they needed to be less zealous for the law. He didn't quote Philippians 3. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He just took these four men, paid for their haircuts, and showed that the apostle to the Gentiles loved and cared for his Jewish brothers. He was under the law to those under the law. He was outside the law to those outside the law, all for the sake of the gospel. When he had to and when it came to direct revelation, Paul held to his convictions. When he didn't have to and it wasn't direct revelation, Paul gave concession. But he was always headed on mission. It sounds like a man I know who was on mission. You remember him in Luke 9, 51, um, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And so what we see here in Acts is Paul just following his Savior because his Savior went to Jerusalem to be crucified for his sins and our sins. Acts 1 begins like this. All that Jesus began, the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, meaning he's still going on and he's still teaching. And so Paul, this is probably where he got the phrase in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, you follow me or be imitators of me as I follow Christ. You mean to tell me Paul was going to Jerusalem in a similar manner? Yes, not to be put on a cross for sins, but to proclaim the one who was put on the cross for his sins. Jesus went, set his face to Jerusalem. Paul went to proclaim that Jesus. And knowing this big issue in life is taken care of frees us and makes us flexible to make other decisions in life. You keep a firm grip on the truth. There are certain things you and I have to hold to. We're not letting go of. And everything else, our hands open. We contend for the faith here. Here, I have an open hand. You should have a handout in front of you. And what it shows is when it comes to our convictions, what are your convictions? Are your convictions biblical or are your convictions non-biblical? Hopefully your convictions are in line with the Scripture. And then when it comes to your concessions, um, what are your concessions? Are you able to bend where you need to bend? Are you being bendy on critical issues that you don't need to bend on? Brothers and sisters, we're in a day and age where there are certain issues in the public square we're not bending on. And we don't need to be, oh, you know, God loves them and just use one portion of the scripture to deny all the other truths. We don't bend on certain issues and we say, no, this is wrong. Some of us have become too flexible and things we're, we're, we're holding we're open-handed with things should be closed-fisted. And some of you 
are so closed-fisted on the good things, everything's closed-fisted. I believe the Bible is authoritative word of God. I believe there's a trinity. I believe Jesus is uh, God and man. He came to die on the cross. Amen. We're all amen. And I believe that all men should have their hair cut this way or we should do church this way. Or, and you're just like, dude, let that, open up that hand a little bit. So this handout shows you there are absolutes you are closed-fisted on. And then after that, there are convictions. Hold to your convictions. And then, you know what? You have your opinions. I have mine. I was deli- had a delightful conversation uh, with two people right before service today talking about, you know, the book of Ezekiel and some of the opinions on whether or not certain things are going to happen. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the end. I know one thing's for certain. Here's my closed my closed-fisted conviction about the end times. Jesus is coming back. And I say it with John, come quick, come now. Wouldn't that be cool? He shows up, we're in church. We wouldn't have to play anymore. We'll just, here we go. Lead it, Jesus. I'm closed on that. I'm closed. How it's going to happen, I don't know. I can give you my opinion. Maybe a leaning towards a conviction. I even have some questions. <laughs> when it comes to certain, you, you've got to be close-fisted. But when it comes to making decisions in life, most of our decisions in life are not here. They're here. Just here, Martin Luther said it the best. And I'll end with this. Love God and do what you want. I love that. Love God to the extent that you're doing that, you will enjoy doing what you want. We better know our convictions and keep them. Standing firm where we need to, bending at other times. Ben Zamora said this week, pastor in California said, Blessed are the flexibles, for they shall not break. So I ask you, beloved, can you touch your toes? Theologically, are you mobile and flexible? Are there things that you're not going to let go of? And are there things you're a little more open on? Instead of giving you specifics for my life, just in general, in your personal life, you've, you've, you've got to have your convictions. In your marital life, um, you and your wife better be on the same page when it comes to certain convictions. And, and if you're going to live a happy married life, you better learn to make concessions. I mean, if one is adamant about putting that ketchup in the fridge because it says refrigerate after opening you better put that in the fridge don't be getting in an argument coming can we do some counseling yeah well we can't decide where the ketchup goes make a concession really but and really what we dig is whoa whoa there's a hard issue there let's dig a little deeper why all the it's like blood from the cat why all the issue over ketchup there's probably a deeper heart issue, but I mean, we had to learn that. I just concede. I pick up cups wherever I go. I mean, it's just part of my service to the family. You've got to make concessions. But when it comes to the Word of God, what we teach our kids, prayer, obedience, and those things, we're on the same page. Family, when it comes to planning your family, parenting your kids, I'm sure there are different styles here. 
got to learn to concede. What we're not going to do is take one particular approach and make it normative for the church. That is the art and science of shepherding a church is learning, okay, they're, they're a little more over here, they're a little more over here, and you've got to learn to walk with people. When it comes to a church, convictions, concessions, you will hear this every week. You will not hear, you know, self-help books from the pulpit. That's not our conviction. And mission, when you go on mission, are you going, are you going out? Different people do it different ways. What are your convictions? What are your concessions? I think the target helps to be on target. You've got to get the absolute right. Everybody will have some convictions. A lot of us have opinions, and we all still have questions. Father, I pray now as we take communion, this one conviction <coughs> that your son gave his life for us we are convinced of that. It is a conviction that we believe that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. And so now we can participate in a joyful celebration that we are one with you. You have saved our souls. I pray for anybody in here who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today their eyes of the heart would be opened to respond to the word of God. I pray this in Christ's name.